Hello and welcome to season three of the Global Health Collective podcast. I'm your host, Shania Bopa, and I'm excited to take you along the stories and lessons from some of the world's greatest health leaders. Hopefully, we'll be left inspired and motivated to make change in our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to season three of the Global Health Collective. I am here today with Dr. Arthi Rao, Associate Professor, Coordinator of the NPH Program at Manipal University and the Coordinator of the Manipal Health Literacy Unit. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Shania. Nice to meet you. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm so excited to chat with you today and hear all about your, your career and what brought you to the point that you're at today and what's driving you forward. So let's get started. My first question for you today is, is there any moment in your career thus far that's inspired you and impacted you to get to where you are today? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question because uh, this is something I've been answering only to myself all these years and here's someone asking me this question. So I find it uh, uh, really praiseworthy. So what happened was uh, I am a trained medical doctor and I pursued my career uh, as a with a postgraduate diploma in obstetrics and gynecology. And I used to be a practicing gynecologist. After which I had to take a big, big hiatus of seven to eight years. There is a gap. Of course, it was a personal choice. It was certain other uh, personal commitments because of which uh, I, had, I went through a difficult pregnancy and then uh, post-pregnancy issues and all that stuff. And then I somehow, I lost the track somewhere. Then what happened was it inspired me to do something different, something give back to the society. You know, once I uh, started rethinking about my career, the one moment that really, really, uh, you know, impacted me and I took it up as my career pathway was after I, after I completed my master's in public health, uh, then during one of the field visits, we went to a residential care for these children with cerebral palsy. Uh, so as I described myself to you earlier, that I'm, I, I used to be a practicing gynecologist. I did my public health, master's in public health with a specialization in maternal and child health. So the focus always has been on women's health. So when I went to this residential care for cerebral palsy girls, I was so impacted by the situation, by the certain ground realities. Uh, and you know, like uh, there could be certain ethical and legal issues. It's not so easy to carry on if you want to publish what you see over there, you know, what I mean to say. So the difficulties, the challenges, um, you know, the managers in the place found, especially girls with cerebral palsy, that impacted me so much. And, uh, you know, it kept on reverberating inside me. And uh, finally, I took it up as my doctoral, the topic of my doctoral study. You know, I was fortunate enough to get an ethical clearance to go ahead with, uh, to do a study. And I was also fortunate enough that we have a cerebral palsy clinic in the hospital. Um, attached to the university where I'm currently working. And so all these things put together, I had an opportunity to pursue a doctoral study and make a few publications as well out of that. It's not just the publications, but I was in the verge of giving back something to the, all those people who gave me, you know, a career path, but then COVID struck. So it was, it was a bit sad, but I'm hoping this is going to subside and then I will be able to give something back to those people. Uh, you know, it could be an intervention, it could be an initiative or something like that, because they gave me a career path. That's how I see it as. But this, this was definitely one of the turning moments in my life. So it matched with my interest of giving something back to the society, giving back to these children. I don't say underprivileged, they're differently able. And uh, then, you know, there are so many social issues uh, which uh, face them on a day-to-day -day basis, you know. 
So uh, that's that's really shook me. And uh, then I was fortunate enough to take it up as my PhD. And then here I am. That was beautiful. One question struck out to me throughout all of your years. What was a turning point that you saw yourself being in a leadership position and being in a coordinator role and taking taking ownership of so many students' concerns, feelings, and, and their career paths? Like, what was that moment like? Yes, like I did not expect, uh, you know, it was uh, more than in a selection process. It was a nomination that I be the coordinator in replacement of someone who took a, a sabbatical for a personal uh, reason. So I was called upon and, uh, you know, it was just given to me to manage. But uh, as a faculty, as a team faculty in the department, I always was thinking there are so many opportunities, you know, to, uh, to train the students better. Because, you know, public health is something which is an upcoming thing in India. Okay, public health and global health is something which is very much upcoming. And uh, we have so many things to address. Uh, we, have, we have an onus on us to train these future public health professionals and accountable global health professionals for the future. And there's so much to do in a country like India when it comes to public health and global health. So this is something which was always like, you know, um, inspiring me inside. But when I was uh, asked whether you'd be able to lead, I happily took it. Uh, even though I was in the um, final stage of submission of my doctoral thesis. So the university was surprised as well, but I accepted. But then I thought this is an opportunity where I could, you know, do what I really wanted to do over the years. You know, of course, it was a bit demanding, like personally for the doctoral study and professionally for the MBA. So I have worked after the office hours to complete my PhD. I have to come home late, but that's, that's what I chose. Not, I didn't want to complain because I chose it upon myself. And uh, then I, I, I must say, I must admit that uh, I have a very good team in place. You know, we have good coordination. That's that's so very important. You know, a good, good leader cannot function without a good team. And uh, the coherence was something which was a task for me to maintain. And uh, this is my third year as a coordinator for public health program. There are always issues because one, one noble person, a good friend of mine told me something like, how is it different being a teacher and being an administrator? <laughs> so I was like, said at times it's a bit challenging. So she told, she told me being a teacher is so simple because you deal with books. Being an administrator is more challenging because you deal with people. And there's a lot of difference in that, right? So that's how it is. But then um, I believe in God. So God willing. And uh, then a good team in place. And uh, we have always tried to, there are always like, you know, differences and, you know, all those things happening. But that's what keeps the team going. But, you know, you need to know how to keep your heart together. That's what it is. And so far, uh, it was it has been a line of accomplishments, I must say. All my junior faculties are also have enrolled into the PhD programs. And then um, I'm sure that there is a good feedback about the program because the number of applications we are getting is simply escalating with every year uh, to enroll into the master's in public health program to maintain the student-faculty ratio. We have to keep it at a, a limit. Because uh, we don't want to uh, dilute the efficiency what we are giving to the students in the, you know, in the want of taking more numbers. Uh, that's what we are focusing on. And uh, we are training them holistically, more comprehensively. It's not like curriculum-oriented training, you know, how to face challenges, how to you know, identify your passion. It's the most important thing. Identifying it, pursuing it, and uh, you know how to... I, I'm, I'm sure the students are liking. And uh, Manipal, as such, gives a lot of opportunities because uh, we have a campus which is very uh, internationalized. And uh, then we have a memorandum of understanding with so many universities in Europe and US and America. 
and also in Southeast Asian regions. And so this gives them a lot of opportunities, you know, so uh, to pursue their dreams as far as uh, public health is concerned. So that way, so far, so good. That's amazing. And I know your involvement with working in a team um, within your faculty and within your role, but also in our international consortium of partnership universities that you have to coordinate and communicate with and work in collaboration with. But my question to you is, what is some of your highlights in working in that capacity as well for yourself professionally, but also for the student body? Thank you, Shania, for the question. For me, I think personally, I molded a lot. You know, for me, uh, being brought, born and brought up in a small city in South India, I just read about it, what is internationalization, what is to deal with people across cultures, across uh, people from the other part of the globe. So this particular uh, leadership gave me an opportunity to interact with people. Today, I'm more confident when I attend the meetings and the webinars and the discussions. You know, I've become a confident woman. Uh, you know, I know what to say. I know what to, you know, I have taste cancer. So that's how, that's what this whole experience has molded me. I can um, give uh, advice to my juniors with confidence. You know, I can steer them uh, more, more confidently, like this would be the expectations and this is what they want to do. And that has given me a lot of, uh, you know, decision-making capacity. And, um, you know, and there is a lot of uh, initially hesitancy when I was officially, for official reasons, I sat in meetings with women uh, uh, and men and uh, faculty from uh, European universities and, uh, uh, you know, McMaster Canada and then, you know, Maryland, United States and all these things, you know, we had that little bit of uh, hesitancy, I can say. Uh, but then uh, all these experiences and knowing the people from close quarters, interacting with them over the years, that has really stirred me, give, given me a lot of confidence. And even if I have to visit a country alone and then I have to interact with people, I have to take academic responsibilities, attending meetings, representing the university, it has given me a huge amount of confidence to take independent decisions. And personally, I see this as a big growth. This is what uh, my profession has given me. And, and how have you molded your confidence and worked on your confidence as a woman? And as a woman in a coordinator role, but also pursuing your passion and what advice do you have for young people building their confidence? Thank you. That's a very, very important question, Shania. I wish someone told me all this in the beginning of my career, seriously. So what I would advise for the students is, you know, there, someone once told me when I joined the master's in public, one uh, a teacher told me, don't run because everybody's running. Don't run because everybody's running. Stop, turn around and see whether you're you know, this is the direction you want to run. That's the most important thing. Don't just get carried away with the tide. Okay. So that, that's something which that statement has remained with me, you know. And uh, I have uh, sought, um, I knew that this is the thing that was calling. And uh, then I sought family support because it's very important uh, being in a, a conservative South Indian society. And uh, having a social role as a wife, as a mother, I need to exercise those duties as well. I cannot just let myself drift away because I have certain ambitions to do. So I explained myself to my people and then I, I garnered the necessary support I needed from this family, from this family, what are my expectations? It was really, really later. That's fine. But for students, I would say is identify that particular forte, your forte, your area for which you're passionate about, irrespective of whether peers you like it, whether family likes it or whatever it is. Make that your career path. Make that your career goal. 
And the next most important thing is choose the right mentor. You know, they don't come looking for you. You have to go looking for them. And it's a hard work. It's an uphill task, but you will find it. Okay, you will find it. There are no shortcuts to hard work. No shortcuts to hard work. And you have to be, be very positive. You have to be very optimistic. I was just interacting to one of our alumni the other day, and he said that for uh, registration for his uh, doctoral research at a certain university abroad, he wrote the protocol for 500 times. 500 times. I was like, is it possible? Is it humanly possible? And uh, you know, that's what he said, no. I mean, that's the change because by that time he was so confident in the topic, in the subject he wanted to write. The rest of the doctoral research was a cakewalk because he had completely mastered the idea by writing the protocol. So that's what I said, when it is shot back and tells, no, this is not right, don't, don't be, you know, be optimistic, think positive, think this is a learning process because if you want to choose the right mentor, it's an onerous task. It's a very difficult task, okay? But you stick to your guns and then identify the area, choose the right mentor, then be optimistic and be positive and no shortcuts to hard work. That is something you have to do. If you want to, you know, establish yourself in this um, uh, arena of global health, because so many people are jumping into the bandwagon. Now, the COVID-19, one of the reasons why we are getting is so many applications for masters in public health, because India has sat up and studied at public health. You know, so people find a career in public health and global health. So that's the ultimate bottom line. That's what is happening. So I tell my students the same thing. There is so much of competition outside there. And if you apply for a job, if you apply for a higher education, tell me, give me one good reason. Why should they select you? How are you going to prove yourself? And that case, that is possible when you set something as a target and you work, you know, constantly towards it. That's the challenge we have today. But this is this is something which I would like to give it as a as a piece of advice to all the starters out there for global health. Public health and global health is a multi-dimensional topic. It's a multi-dimensional subject. Okay, anything under the sun, everything is under the, under, under the sun is related to public health. Okay, so uh, you have to choose your area. You have to choose that one particular domain in which you want to excel yourself. And if you don't have the passion, you've lost it. The plot is lost. So that is something which I always tell my students here. And you give me an opportunity to say this here in the podcast. I, I would agree with everything that you're saying. And I think positivity and optimism work hand in hand, especially during this pandemic, especially when applying to a program that is highly competitive or trying to figure out your passion. How would you phrase and how would you work around the idea of finding your why, finding your passion, finding your purpose? What do you think? What do you interpret of that question? Very, very nice question. I mean, you're asking me the specifics now. (laughs) That's right. So now you have entered this world of global health. You've chosen this as your career path and you are you're doing masters in global health. So during the process of training of this masters in global health and public health, you come across several domains as a part of your curriculum, as a part of your field visit. You interact with so, much, so many people. Uh, I, I think you were all a part of the Global Health Symposium, which uh, the McMaster hosted. So I'm sure the symposium gave you an opportunity and a platform for networking opportunities. You know, we make this international team for the very purpose that you deal with people, what it is, you know, to come out of the confines of your own country, your own context, and your own situation, and you deal with different people, as your so-called global peers, and, uh, you know, and you interact with people, and you find one or two things which is, which you, 
find it very interesting initially. You have to zero down to that. Maybe you have to make a list of those, you know, for, uh, uh, we call it as a jam pot, you know. You find it, there's an empty jam pot in the kitchen or wherever your workspace and something strikes your mind. Write it on a sheet and put it in that jam pot, you know. And then one fine day, maybe after a certain time and you think that it is full, just pour it out, everything, you know. And you see, out of the choices you have made, which is the thing which strikes you most. Sometimes things look easy. The topics you've chosen is easy. And uh, sometimes it looks very, very difficult. So that is the time you need to make a choice. And once you make a choice, you better stick to it because you cannot go shopping with that. It's going to be very difficult because I always tell my students one thing, that the one thing you can never earn back is time. Once you lose the time, it is lost forever. Okay, so you can earn money. You can go back and do another PhD or whatever, your degree. But time that is lost is lost forever. So you make your choices judiciously. Okay, and these are some of the things when you can discuss with your peers. Okay, you can discuss with some of your faculty whom you think that you can, uh, they're open, they're approachable, and then you want to discuss and make. But the final decision is yours because you do the decision for years because you want to stick to it. That's what it is. So you have to identify. You cannot just dream of one particular thing. It's going to be very, very difficult. But then you make about four or five choices, explore the options and opportunities, see whether, uh, you know, the path, whatever you will have to take to achieve that matches somewhat with your personal path as well, where you want to head to or where you want to leave, where you foresee after four years or five years or 10 years down the lane or something like that. And then you make your choice. Of course, there is no tailor-made. There's nothing which is tailor-made. There is always pros and cons uh, attached to everything. So you make that one final decision and stick to it. That is very, very important. If that would help, what I said. That definitely does help. And I think the way I, I see it is find a theme or an area of interest you, you're interested in. And I think as young people who are, are listening to this podcast, you have the liberty of deciding which areas in which you want to target under that theme. So for example, my theme is child health, um, but I'm testing it out through research and book writing and teaching and uh, the nonprofit space to find out exactly what it is I'm passionate about. But I think in terms of global health, it's a bit more difficult in terms of finding opportunities. And I, I want to, to hear your perspective on how you recommend a student go about finding global health opportunities that they're passionate about and get involved outside of the symposium and also in light of COVID, not being able to travel, having to really network virtually. What is your one piece of advice for that? Uh, so I understand this COVID has thrown spanner, has thrown the spanner into several, uh, many people's ideas and, you know, and the future plans and things like that. But then uh, the groundwork can be done virtually. Whatever can be done virtually can be done virtually because everybody's working virtually. Suppose you identify a mentor and a place, a context and a situation. The whole world is working virtually. That's what it is. And maybe if you have, you can make a choice. You can build, uh, you know, uh, suppose you choose an area and you choose a mentor, you choose a particular university and you can openly express that this is what the situation is because, you know, you have, we have to respect each other's situation, but never lose the connections you have developed with that particular mentor. Keep, keep always in touch with them. Maybe you could be doing some sort of a secondary data analysis, publish a couple of papers with them, you know, even though in a virtual platform, in a virtual world, you can prove your efficiency to the mentor. Okay, so you can always do that, but you have to keep the rapport alive. 
You have to keep the connections alive. And I'm very sure this pandemic passes on, passes off in a year or two. And uh, then you're all youngsters. You have the whole life ahead of you. So this should also give you a platform to establish more connections, connecting to your mentor better, discuss, you know, um, uh, a lot of something, not to spill off to your personal matters, but then, you know, professional taking suggestions, some interactions, or maybe plan a webinar or some, some small workshops if it's possible, apply for a small student-funded project, print research or something like that, but keep the connections alive because they also know about this pandemic and then do your efficiency to them so that you're more welcomed once the situation passes off. Now, because you cannot take these things for granted. They have, you know, when you seek somebody as a mentor, they have multiple responsibilities to the organization they're involved in. And prior to you, many more people would have approached to them. They could be the guides for several other projects. And of course, they're also human beings. How much more can you expect them? So to give you this little extra time from their busy schedule, you might be, you should be very inspiring. They should be very attentive uh, and you should make very interesting conversations. You need to do a little bit of more research um, uh, before you talk, even if it is a short talk with the person or whatever it is. You should not get an impression that it's a waste of time talking to you. You know, it should not be like that. So you have to keep those connections alive. And then once the situation subsides, maybe if uh, the person is willing, the mentor is willing, you can start working on your protocol as well. Make, maybe some, there could be some courses which could be done virtually as a requirement for course credits. You understand, suppose you want to do a higher study or a PhD or something like that, uh, you can join hands. For example, even now at this stage, uh, one of my mentor uh, who is there, I, I just took up an assignment of writing a chapter with him. That is only because just, you know, the opportunity of working together, you know, today it's a chapter, tomorrow it's a paper, you know, but this gives platforms for very intellectual discussions for us. The goal is not writing a chapter. The goal is not a research publication, but you don't know how opportunities come knocking on your door, but the connection should be there. The rapport should be there and the approachability should be there. And it, it is a task on the student to keep it alive, okay? And then as a preparation for your thing until it subsides, because your actual data collection is a far fixed idea. You have a lot of other procedures and processes. And I think this is the time you should be making it to accomplish all those things so that once the COVID subsides, you're ready for the data collection. Something like that. And I think it's working with intention. So grounding yourself in good intentions, positive intentions, that's mutually yeah. beneficial for both you and your mentor. Um, creating a relationship and maintaining a relationship. Professional relationships are just as important as any social relationship, a classmate. That's kind of what I, I definitely think from your advice. Yeah. I guess my last question to you today to wrap it all up is yeah. what is one quote that you live by and why? The quote which has inspired me and it stays with me even till today is by Mohandas Chand Gandhi. You should be the change you wish to see in the world. So that's something which I always apply because if I find something to blame in others rather than looking at them because when you point one finger at them there are three fingers pointing towards you. Point like this there are three turning towards you. So you should be the change you wish to see in the others. And things become a lot easier. I've experienced it more as an administrator and uh, more than an academician. You know, because a teacher-student relationship is different, but a team dynamics are different when you work as a, an administrator. That has helped a lot for me at a personal level, at a professional level. I keep saying that to myself, you know, so that uh, the whole perspective for what is there in hand 
the situation changes. Uh, that made my life a lot easier. And that is something which is going to stay with me for quite some time. I love that quote. That's one of my favorite quotes as well. What I'm hearing from this whole conversation is be optimistic about possibilities, but create possibilities. How do you create possibilities? It's working towards a goal that you might have in a, under a certain theme or a subtopic of interest. Um, but in that process, finding mentors and being optimistic, especially within the global health space and okay, networking. Uh, do you have any last thoughts and feelings and something you would want to tell your younger self? Okay. Um, I, you know what? I wanted to share something with you. This COVID, uh, what I did was I just mailed Preksha yesterday about that. You know, I have just started a small platform within family, within siblings, within my, you know, cousins. And then, you know, so we have made a platform like a team. And then we have started doing discussions about women empowerment. And because many of them are housewives, there are certain demanding social roles which women have to perform. So there could be certain dreams, there could be certain passions. And is there a possibility for rediscovering them over the line? Because it's never too late. It's never too late. That is something which we have rolled out recently. It's been very well taken and I'm very happy. That's what it is. And then women empowerment, you know, com coming from very conservative societies, what I feel is there is so much of hesitancy and, uh, I, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to put it as a vulnerability or something like that to approach, to seek learning because, you know, there is something, uh, the familial, the cultural context and the social situations. They, they're constantly hearing the word that like, you know, you can't do it. It's okay. Like it's not within your uh, limits and you will not, you will not be able to achieve. Hearing that over the years, it has shunned the confidence. It has reduced the confidence. It has increased the hesitancy. Maybe like one of the things Preksha was asking me is what is one project if there are no barriers, what would you want? So I would take it if there are no ethical challenges and I don't have to go for an IRB. I would like to do an intervention where it can reduce the hesitancy among the women from conservative societies. You know, to take bold, independent decisions for their for their life. I don't mean career because I'm in midlife and I see my peers at that stage. But then you can take the decisions for yourself without any hindrance. Without any, if there is a question in front of you, I don't have to look for help. I can find solutions myself. That is something which I want to give to the women of my age. That's what I'm looking at. But it's uh, I hope wish me luck. <laughs> for this so I should be <laughs> I will join you on that project <laughs> one thing I realized especially during this pandemic and especially with increased uses of social media is we need females in leadership positions to not only there's one aspect of you know empowering women by just inspiring them but offering them the tools to support them in getting to where they need to be. So you can do both at the same time. And I think, especially with social media and just the digital world right now, is we we talk about our accomplishments, but we don't talk about how we got there. You didn't discuss the 10 hurdles that, that you had to go through. And that's what's empowering. And that's what's moving mountains. And that's what's, I feel, inspiring young girls. Thank you very much for, for all of your insights and thoughts and feelings and your passion today and uh, everything that you are doing and everything that you are um we we are so grateful to have you at, especially within the mcmaster community uh being a partner university and and coordinating and and working alongside all, all of us so thank you very much for being on the podcast thank you thank you shan it was it was a pleasurable experience thanks for giving me an opportunity to express myself so yes. and perhaps you see it as a message to youngsters I appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you.